Hi, my name is Malcolm Duncan and I want to thank you for stopping by the Thin Places podcast. Whether you're exploring faith or seeking to deepen your faith, my prayer is that as you listen, it will be a blessing to you. Please make sure that you click or subscribe to the podcast to be kept up to speed with all the latest episodes. I'd love you to take a look at some of my other resources that are available on the internet too. You can go to my Facebook page, which is facebook.com forward slash Rev Malcolm Duncan for daily updates and reflections. You can visit my webpage, malcolmduncan.co.uk, where you can order books and listen to some other resources and link to my written blog. And lastly, you can take a look at my YouTube channel, which has some videos of me speaking in various contexts and some biblical exposition, as well as some videos of me exploring contemporary topics and issues. Thanks very much for stopping by, and I pray that God would richly bless you. This is episode 7 of the Good Grief series, entitled Holding Hands. Learning how to have a different grip through grief and loss. We spend our lives holding hands with those that we love, and when we lose someone, we don't know how to let them go, and we don't want to do it. From almost the moment that we're born, we grip a hand. I don't remember holding either of my parents' hands, obviously, when I was born, but as a dad, I certainly remember holding the hands of my four children as they were born. And as they went through uh, childhood as babies and then as little children, they certainly felt more secure holding my hand. In fact, some uh, evidence suggests that children feel more secure, more relaxed, more safe when they're holding the hand of a parent or a finger when they're tiny little babies. How we hold one another's hands, I think, says a huge amount about our relationships and about us. So when it comes to death, how are we supposed to let go? It's not a very easy question to answer. So I want to think about that with you in this episode by exploring two stories and then some biblical passages that have helped me in my journey with it. My first story takes place in the early 1990s. I was a young pastor and I led a wonderful church there and I loved every minute of it. The team worked really well together and I still miss them. I remain friends with many of them. And by the time I reached Bournemouth in the second half of the 1990s, I had been confronted with death and grief as an individual and as a pastor on a number of occasions. It was always hard But I was beginning to understand, I think, that if people were given time to grieve properly, the process could actually bring them a sense of hope and strength rather than destroying them. I was still in the process of trying to work out how to help people do that. I still am. When here I am uh, confronted by a story that has impacted me for now nearly 30 years. You see, I don't think you ever become an expert in sorrow. You're always learning. I learned a lot from a lady that I will call Jane. She came to faith because she was dying. And she had two daughters when I met her. One was approaching her teenage years and the other had just entered them. And I remember the first time I saw her, she had this fantastic laugh, a huge smile and eyes that told me she was frightened. The first time I met her, she was wearing a headscarf and it was obvious that she was going through some kind of chemotherapy or radiotherapy that was causing her to lose her hair. She turned up at my office one day with a daughter on either side of her and she was holding them by the hand 
I'll never forget the picture. A mum holding her girl by the hand. A woman who was dying and holding on to life. A human being who was afraid to die and afraid to let go. It was raining outside and it was cold. And our church had taken over a lease of an old vegetable shop that we turned into a community office. And it was there that I met her. She came bursting through the door, breathless and bothered, but still smiling. I didn't see the tears on her face because of the rain, but I noticed her scarf immediately and her very heavy breathing. She was forcing herself to breathe, fighting broken lungs with every single inhalation and every spent breath that she was pushing out. She told me she wanted to talk to me without the girls hearing. I guessed she had lung cancer and I was right. I guessed that she was crying and I was right. And I guessed that she was frightened and she was. I was right. One of my colleagues uh, looked after the girls, took them for a hot chocolate and uh, I sat down with Jane and we began to talk. She poured out her story to me. It's one that I have become very familiar with, unfortunately, over the years, but I have never become used to it. She'd been tired and breathless, so she went to the doctor was referred for tests, had an x-ray, they found a mass, took a biopsy and she had cancer. They started treatment and it didn't work. Now here she was, trying to sort out her emotions and work through her fears. She actually had come to ask me if I could take her funeral, and of course I said yes. And then she asked me questions about what happens when we die, and I tried to answer them in the best way that I could, pointing her to the only person that I know who had been dead some considerable time and then come back again, Jesus. I asked her if we could help in practical ways. She said she needed some meals, a bit of money might help, some housework. So we organised all of that. She had been considering becoming a Christian for a long time, but the news that she only had a few months left in her life had focused her mind. There's nothing wrong with that. She told me she wanted to give God all of her worries and her fears and she wanted him to be part of her life and a part of her girls' lives. I asked her whether she wanted me to pray with her, and she said yes. So I knelt down, and she knelt down beside me, and I said, let's pray. And she took my hand. I looked at her for a moment, and then she said to me, I like holding hands. It's important to me. So we held hands, and I prayed, and we cried. She said it helped, and I asked if she would let me see her again she said yes please and I said when and she said tomorrow and she left and I went back to the community office next door and the two girls stood up and she gripped them each by the hand and off they went I'll never forget that image either a human being beginning to prepare to go to heaven and needing to learn how to let go I visited her every other day for two months and then in the last month of her life I visited Jane every day and every time I went I held her hand. Life hadn't been easy on her and she had tough hands marked with love and tenderness and shaped by very hard work. On the day that she died I stayed holding her hand, her hand most of the day. If I wasn't holding it then her daughters were. We had talked about heaven a lot and she was ready to die she was ready to go but she just wasn't ready to leave she wasn't ready to let go of her girls and she wasn't ready to let go of her husband 
he couldn't cope with her death, so he was in and out and in and out, and she didn't want the girls to see her when she died. So on that day, he came, and they said their goodbyes, and they put a rose on her chest, and they asked me if I would mind staying until the end. And I said, of course I would. So they kissed her head, and they let their lips rest on her skin for as long as they could, and they smelt her for the last time. They tasted her love, and they felt the, their humanity connected to hers, even though they didn't realise that's what they were doing. And then they left. It was just me, Jane, and the rose, and of course God. It rested on her chest and it lifted and fell with every single laboured breath. I had music playing in the background to soothe her and I think it helped. And there she lay on that small white hospital bed. And I sat with her and held her hand. She never spoke. She just lay there and I held her hand. Her breathing changed across the next few hours and the nurses came in and out and in and out. And I held her hand. And every now and again I could hear the whizzing of the syringe driver and I watched her die. Slowly and peacefully in the end. I sat and held her hand and prayed and it was all that I could do. And then she grabbed my hand so tightly that my knuckles white went white. She squeezed and squeezed and squeezed and then she relaxed. And a few minutes later she died. She was holding my hand still when she stilled. Her grip loosened and she was gone. We spend our lives, I think, holding hands with those we love. And when we lose someone we do not want to let them go. And we do not know how to do it. I really don't have any idea what happens in the moments of death. None of us do. We can talk about the mechanics of it, but what actually happens in the world that we can't see? What does a dying person experience? What's their perception of these last moments? On a number of occasions I've been with people who have died, but there was something about Jane's death that I needed to think about, and it was her hands, the way she gripped me, then released me. What was it? I still think about it. Those moments with her and the 20 plus years of reflection that I have had since have given me something that I now believe to be very important and I carry into every context when I'm trying to help families or couples or individuals as they approach saying goodbye to a loved one. I can't really explain it in diagrams and Bible verses and a three-point sermon, but it's something that I want to try and talk about because I've seen it help people again and again and again. So my second story might help. A few years ago now I was helping an elderly couple. The elderly lady was walking towards death and they were beautiful people. I loved them very much and I missed them very deeply still. She'd battled the disease for many years. But it was finally progressing to the point that it wouldn't be long before she went to heaven. She knew that. And she asked me if I could come and talk to them about her parting. Over several weeks I did a Bible study on heaven with both her and her husband. And I gave them the chance to talk through their fears and their anxieties. I made sure that their funeral arrangements were discussed. I encouraged them to write letters. 
I did everything that I could to help them prepare for her death. I asked her were there any special things that she wanted me to do when she died. Who did she want to be part of the service? What songs would she like sung? Was she ready? Is there anything that was unfinished? Had she anything she needed to put right with God or with other people? It was very rich and deeply moving to minister life and hope into their souls for the last couple of months of her life. And then one afternoon when we were sitting together, she and her husband were talking and he turned to me and he said, Malcolm, I don't know how to let her go. They were both in their 80s and they'd known each other since they were five years old. And they were holding hands as he spoke to me. Tears sparkled in their eyes like diamonds. Treasures of the love that they had shared for eight decades. Evidence of a bond that had held them through their marriage, their ministry, the raising of their children and the lives of their grandchildren. I asked them whether I could come and sit beside them for a moment and they said yes. And I moved over and I placed my hand on their joined hands and I said something like this. I'll call them John and Margaret for this story. John, all your life you have held Margaret's hand. From as far back as you can remember, you've loved her and you've walked with her. You held hands through your courtship. When you were young lovers, you held hands as you danced and dreamt of the world as it would be and what your future might look like together. You held hands on the day you were married. You gave each other a ring as a symbol of your union that you both still wear today. When your children came along, you held hands. You held hands when you said grace over your meals. After your arguments, you held hands. When you walked on the beach, listened to the sea. When you meandered through the park, kicked leaves. When you lay beside one another at night, you held hands. You've spent your life holding hands. Through your griefs and your sorrows, you have held Margaret's hand, John. You've held her through her diagnosis, her treatment, and over these last months as she has prepared for heaven. Through almost your entire life, you have held her hand, and I don't think you have ever let go, and I don't think you ever will. John smiled, tears in his face, and tears falling onto Margaret's clenched hand. And I repeated the sentiment to Margaret about her and her relationship with John, and she cried too, and she smiled, and she looked at me, the tired and the worn smile of a body that is becoming gossamer then with pain, but is letting the glorious light of Christian hope shine through. We paused together and cried, and he put his head on her shoulder and cried. I caressed her beautiful white hair. She beckoned me toward her weakened body, and I kissed her soft, kind forehead. And the room was still with the presence of God. This was a holy moment. And this was a holy conversation and God was doing something. So then I said something like this. Now you are both approaching the moment when Margaret will go to heaven. And you continue to hold one another's hands. Imagine that this is a walk toward eternity, John. And you are still holding her hand. But on Margaret's other side, God is walking beside her. He has always been there and he always will be. He held her hand in her mother's womb. From her first cry to her last breath, he will be there. He held her hand when you hurt her. He held her hand before you ever knew her. And he will be holding her hand long after you have gone. He will always be there. 
He holds her hand more tightly and more tenderly than you could ever understand or imagine. He has held her through illness, through treatment and now in this final stage of the journey. He has promised that he will always hold her hand. And at the moment of her passing, when she leaves earth to go to heaven, God will take her. There will not be a moment when she is alone. There will not be a second when she is unattended. God will never let go of her hand. He has promised, and he is a God who keeps his promises. But in the moment that he chooses to call her to himself, to release her from this life and usher him, her into the next, he will squeeze her hand. He will give her the assurance that she needs. She'll not be afraid and she'll never be alone. His hand will hold hers into the next life. I think they were beginning to understand what I was going to say. They were both now looking at me. My voice was in the room and my hand was on theirs, but they were present with each other, encased in a depth of love and tenderness that could never, ever be described. I see it in the lives of those who have been entwined around one another for decades. I think it's beautiful. I think it's precious. And I think it's holy. The conversation continued something like this. John, I will never ask you to let go of Margaret's hand because you and I know that you could never do it. So what I'm going to ask you to do instead is to change your grip. In these last days or hours of her life, let her hold your hand instead of you holding hers. Adjust your hold. Release control of her to God without letting go of your love. And remember that God has her other hand. And when he calls her to himself, he will squeeze her hand. The one that he has always held. And when he does, Margaret will let go of your hand. She'll never, you will never need to let go of hers. She will release yours. But she can only do that if you change your grip. And when she does, it will be her signal to you to say, I'm home. I have been released. I am with God. Her release grip will be because the one who had held her longer than you has now drawn her closer than she has ever been. Her release grip to you is a sign of her victory, her separation for you for a while, and her arrival with Christ in eternity. And when she lets go of your hand, it will be because she has stepped out of time and into eternity. So change your grip, John. Change your grip. And one day you will take Margaret's hand again and you will never be parted. <laughs> we spend our lives holding hands with those we love. When we lose someone, we don't want to let them go and we do not know how to do it. Perhaps we don't have to. By changing our grip and remembering that God is closer to the person that we love than we are, we give them the permission that they need to let us go. So the Bible, the verses, they make it clear that God holds his people tightly in his hand. Listen to Isaiah 41 verse 13. For I, the Lord, your God, hold your, tight, your right hand. It is I who say to you, do not fear, I will help you. Listen to it in the message. 
Because I, your God, have a firm grip on you and I'm not letting you go. I'm telling you, don't panic. I'm right here to help you. Or what about this translation of Romans 5.17 from the Passion? Death once held us in its grip. And by the blunder of one man, death reigned as king over humanity. But now, how much more are we held in the grip of grace and continue reigning as kings in life? enjoying our regal freedom through the gift of perfect righteousness in the one and only Jesus, the Messiah. Or John 10, verses 27 to 30. My sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. What my Father has given me is greater than all else and no one can snatch it out of the Father's hands. The Father and I are one. Or J.B. Phillips from Romans 14.9 At every turn life links us to God and when we die we come face to face with him. In life or death we are in the hands of God. Christ lived and died that he might be the Lord in both life and death. I've witnessed those words bring comfort in grieving homes, by hospital beds, at gravesides and in crematoria. I've read those texts to the dying and the grieving. I tell them the story of holding hands and I remind them that God is holding their hands, that he will not abandon them. God keeps his promises. Just as I think the idea of death as an unwelcome visitor is really unhelpful, I also think the language of letting go of our loved ones can be unhelpful. I understand the sentiment. I accept and agree that we must release them, that we mustn't grip them too tightly, that we must find a way of trusting them to God's care and keeping. I remind myself and mourners of that every time I pronounce the words of committal at a funeral, saying that it has pleased Almighty God to take unto himself the soul of our sister or our brother here departed. We now commit his or her body to the ground. This is a releasing. This is a letting go. But it helps to remember that in death we are giving our loved ones permission to let go of us. We're not leaving them. We are acknowledging that they have left us and they've only done so because God has taken them when they have died in Christ. And so the second part of that second story. A few years after John's wife Margaret died, John developed cancer too. He died a contented death with his family around him. He and I were very close. He was like a father to me. On the last occasion that I saw him alive, he was in and out of consciousness. It was a very emotional goodbye. I sat with him and wept with him and he mumbled to me. He smiled and he whispered his thanks. I wept my thanks to him. I placed my face against his for a moment. And those moments were a gift. For weeks before, I would go to his home on a Friday and we would read the Bible together. We would sing together. We would talk of Margaret together. We just were together. On the last day that I saw him alive, we had time alone for a little while. It was precious and I will cherish it forever. As it was approaching time for me to leave, I prayed with him and he smiled. 
and a tear fell from his eye and trickled down his beautiful, gentle face. I wiped it away with my hanky. And when I left him that day, I buried my face in the hanky and sobbed. No matter how much we try, parting is hard. I rose from the bedside and he beckoned me closer. He had something he wanted to say to me. I leaned over and he gripped my hand again, pulling me to himself with his right hand. I drew my ear down to his face so I could hear him and he whispered, Malcolm, you were right. And with that he lifted his left hand from the bed and squeezed it into itself twice. And he said, His grip is strong. His grip is strong. I let his hand go. I changed my grip. A few hours later he died. He let go of my hand. But he will always, always be in my heart. And if you are struggling with grief, sadness or loss today, because you know someone that you love is going to die, and you don't want to let them go, or because someone in your life that you loved very much has died, change your grip. You don't need to let them go. You just need to let go of their hand and let them grip yours. Perhaps the most helpful thing we can do is trust those that we love into God's care because absolutely none of us know what happens in the last moments of life. And I'm convinced that his grip is stronger than we could ever imagine. God bless you.